Hi, welcome to the Wellness Doctors podcast with Dr. Lorena and Dr. Vanessa. We are both medical doctors who talk about how to optimize health and well-being so that you can be empowered to make better healthy choices, enrich the lives of people around you and join us in the evolution of healthcare. Welcome to Three Things. Think of this three things as your personal appointment with a top psychiatrist. The last two years have seen unprecedented levels of stress and mental health challenges for virtually everyone. Some countries and places have done better than others, but overall workplace, home, family and personal stress levels have seen record highs. Some countries and places have done better than others, but overall workplace, home, family and personal stress levels have seen record highs. What can we do? How can we manage through these unprecedented times? To try and find some answers, I'm really pleased to welcome our next guest to three things, Dr. Vanessa Wong. Vanessa is a leading psychiatrist educated in the UK and trained at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. She went on to practice psychiatry at the Hospital Authority for 10 years before setting up her own practice in 2014. Her philosophy lies in balancing psychiatry as a science that treats mental disorders and also promoting a healthy lifestyle. She emphasizes nutrition, exercise, sleep and mindfulness as key factors to improve mental well-being. Her approach is clinical assessment, treatment and psychological counselling with a functional medicine approach. Vanessa looks for the root causes of issues and not just treating the symptoms. I am really excited about this show. I know we have a lot to talk about. So Vanessa, welcome to Three Things. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So Vanessa, what would, we, what would you say are the typical reason someone seeks you out? What are they looking for? How can you help them? I think there's a difference between um, the setting in which we would see patients. So for example, if you were in the public sector, you would see a lot more uh, people with more severe mental health issues mm. that um, they either need to be hospitalized or be followed up long term. Mm -hmm. um, in the private sector, you see, at least in my population, a lot of people that are on the whole quite functional. Yeah. They hold down a job, they yeah. have families, um, they, they seem to be doing okay on the outside, but internally everybody goes through stressful moments mm. in life. And the reason why they would seek a psychiatrist out is either they've gone and sought counselling um, and something biologically just isn't working and they okay. want to get some help in terms of medication or medical assessment, which is the sort of difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist mm. per se. We're looking more at the medical aspect of things. So let's then look at Hong Kong today yes. and possibly we can extrapolate further, but what are what are the issues you're seeing most regularly? And if we can also look at the current you know, COVID environment yeah. where I think it's, it's a very strange time for many people, what are you seeing on a day-to-day -day basis? I think the, the issues that I'm seeing on a day-to-day -day basis haven't changed that much. So it's mostly anxiety, depression, uh, burnout from work, um, a lot of people having sleep problems, um, general sort of mood disorder some people are using substances to cope right um, so alcohol alcohol right. drugs uh, other processes I'm hearing the words overwhelmed used a lot um, and is that something and this is just anecdotally in sort of my friendship and professional circles but are you noticing that as well are you seeing that as a yes I think what COVID has done is exposed a lot of 
cracks that were there but have made it more apparent because we've lost or haven't been able to access some of our coping strategies. So in the past, you would be able to maybe go away for a long weekend and right. relax and, and reset. And those days are long gone. Yeah, and also um, making it very difficult for people to travel to see loved ones or reunite for happy occasions and sad occasions. So if you're then, if we're thinking about that exact environment, and we're just looking at our partners, our friends, our colleagues, are there any sort of signs that people should be aware of in terms of change behavior that might indicate someone is struggling? I think if someone is not able to connect with others in this current environment, because previously there was a lot of um, strict social distancing Mm. and people lack that human contact, so what we call micro moments in the day or micro connections. So saying hi to your security right, guard, sure. um, just you know, having a, a quick 10 second chat with your barista at the coffee mm. shop, those things mean something. That you don't need to have long conversations with a friend to have genuine connection. And I think that's partly what has been missing. And also in the, in the situation now where, yes, Hong Kong has opened up, uh, but we are still not able to function like we used to as an international city. Mm. So a lot of um, what people are familiar with in the past is no longer there, at least for the foreseeable future. So we spoke a bit earlier about the issues that you're seeing. So could, could we just quickly revisit that? So if there was, a, say, a top five things that you're seeing, what, what would those things be in a city like Hong Kong? I think mostly it is anxiety and depression, and mm. partly it is the pressure of living in Hong Kong. Everything seems to be more fast-paced, think, everything is yeah, uh, more intense on many levels, um, and that brings about other aspects, so insomnia, relationship issues, um, having uh, like maladopt- maladaptive coping strategies. Mm. Can you explain a bit more about those? So what are maladaptive coping strategies? It sounds to me like uh, possibly overuse of alcohol um, would that be correct yeah that would be one of the things I think from we sharing too much here <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> I, I try to think of our body and our mind helping us okay. in all aspects so right. your your body isn't trying to work against you even though sometimes it feels that it's not living up to the expectations you wanted to to mm. be at but if you're under a lot of stress your mind and your body will try and figure out a solution. And if the quick fix or something that temporarily helps seems to be working, your body will naturally go towards that thing again and again, but that creates a habit. And if we take out the words that are judgmental, so what are good Mm. habits, what are bad habits, um, it's your body's way of surviving. And we're in a pandemic, we're in a very stressful situation globally. And so your mind is trying to create a new way of coping with this, these, these so new things. interesting. And so your, your behavior is then creating new and not very good things that you're currently doing, um, which presumably then long term, that's not a good outcome. Yes. And, and I think also if you say, well, I just drink a lot and I use drugs and I you know, just party and I, I live a very hedonistic lifestyle, mm. it could be what your body feels is better momentarily but society will also judge you and also the the physical aspects of it will eventually catch up 
Um, but even things like going on internet or um, spending lots of time on social media or chasing news, that's another thing yeah. that has been yes, quite detrimental in the beginning, chasing yeah. the numbers, yeah. chasing the latest updates, the daily reports, that's all had a very negative impact. And I think society can do better uh, in terms of moving on from that initial phase of shock. We were, we were talking a little bit earlier about, and this might sound I'm not going to say privileged, but you know, Hong Kong, Hong Kongers, and I consider myself one, Hong Kongers love to travel, right? We yeah. like where it's a very mobile sort of city. Yeah. From a mental health point of view, what do you think the absence of being able to go anywhere else, you know, does that have implications for mental health? I think it does. And I think in Hong Kong, the, the advantage we had as a city in Asia is that it doesn't take a lot of money to go travel you exactly. can do short trips and, yeah. and do it quite thailand etc. yeah and it could be quite reasonable in terms of the finances but what i'm seeing is twofold people aren't able to visit family especially for people who are not from here and the families back home that has been really tough mm. um, children that have to go away to study and they can't come back or they have to do quarantine by themselves which i think is atrocious taking a 13 year old and putting them in a room by themselves i think you're not alone in feeling that <laughs> <laughs> and lastly i think people don't have these built-in breaks so I'm yes. seeing people who have a high-flying career, whether they are a lawyer or a banker, and they used to be able to have breaks. And it's the prescribed amount of time that you get paid annual leave. Yeah, and yeah. You take what, those... what, I remember that. What leave, <laughs> right? I, what, what, didn't, that and, didn't and that so used to because, be a thing. <laughs> because they are eff effectively stuck in Hong Kong, mm. they can work unlimited hours. We're seeing, and in my professional world, we have this conversation a lot, which is, it's the blurring of the the blurring of the week into the weekend, and you know I'm finding we're, we're taking calls on Saturday, um, and it's just it's it's almost become a continuum, um, and there's the, the the normal punctuation of life yep. has very much gone by the wayside. So you're seeing that in your professional world as well. Yes, and I think if you're in a field where you are able to get almost unlimited amount of work, you can work seven days a week and it's been 18, 20 months. So I have actually had to prescribe leave. Really? As a prescription. Well, it's a doctor's orders. Here's a doctor's you know, order. You, you need to go figure out how to get that leave from work, manage okay. your work. And you know, when you bring them back to, you know, back in the day when you could take yeah, two weeks off sure. and go to Europe, what did you do with your work? Well, I'll either have a colleague cover sure. me or I'll just spend a little bit of time managing emails. And I said, well, why can't you do it now? And there's this almost resistance to giving up either the financial gains that come with it or sure. almost the, the, the lack of a purpose without work. It's, and it is, I mean, we, we know Hong Kong is an intense, high-pressure place, but would you say that the lack of... I'm interested in your comment about purpose and work because I think a lot of people, let's say in Hong Kong especially, identify with work. It sort of validates... Uh, it's it's enjoyable for some people, but it's a sense of identity. I was just going to say, yeah. is that something you see quite a lot of? Yes, I, I think Hong Kong is a place where if you're not from here, you come here to make a break in your career or get ahead financially mm. and provide for a family yeah. or plan for your future. So I think if you're not allowed to leave Hong Kong, you basically stuck pretty much with that one thing that you came for. On the subject of one thing, <laughs> let's now ask you about your first of the three things, Vanessa. Yes. What is your first thing? My first thing that I would say to myself uh, as, as a younger version of me is do something for shits and giggles. <laughs> 
Um, please, please. And I would have said it in a, in, a, in a less <laughs> crass way, but that's the whole point: is you do something that makes you giggle. Right. And as adults, we've almost lost the art of being a child. Okay. And I don't mean to say it in a sort of you're being juvenile, but the the freedom and the carefreeness that comes. From watching a child play,、mm. they're not worrying about homework or dinner, um, tax returns, <laughs> and they do something for the sake of doing something.、Yeah. So I find myself doing things where I just burst into laughter,、right. and I think back、Can、on. Can I ask what what would that something be? What would make you burst into laughter?、Um, so the last thing I did. Recently, is、uh, sitting on this chair. Okay, <laughs> we so, should explain why. So let's explain to the audience that we're in a conference room where the chairs are green and orange, and when you sit on it, it creates a, almost like a fart sound,、let's, which I'll try and recreate. Let's try and recreate it now. Up、oh, next.、No. Hold on. Would、we'll, I let Spur try and do it? I tell you what, I'll get a new chair that hasn't actually. This is happening live, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. There it is. Did we all hear? The, did everyone hear the fart chair? And think, it makes everybody. Just for the record, she said it first, not me. Yeah.、Right? Okay. A, so that's a good example of shits、yeah, and giggles. Yeah, that's a good example of shits and giggles. And you're in the moment, whatever the the intensity of the situation、right. is, there's a lightheartedness to it.、Mm. And I think we've forgotten how to do that as adults. Building on that, Vanessa. So you know, there's a lot of discussion today about self help and self care, etc. But And I'd like to talk a little bit about, and obviously, you know, no, no concept of anyone individually, but talk about the typical sorts of people that come to see you, because I think a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people possibly need would need to see a professional like yourself, but don't. And what I'm wondering is, at the first stage, what what can people do to help themselves? You know, what what would you see? So, example, you know, we all know exercise is good. We all know nutrition is important. But from a mental health point of view, what kind of self care? Can people think about? I've come up with a term called mental hygiene, as mental opposed hygiene. to dental hygiene. Dental hygiene, mental hygiene. Okay. Yes. So when you talk about dental hygiene, most people kind of know what you're talking about. You have to brush your teeth. You have to floss. You have to see your dentist. And when you ask someone why do you brush your teeth, why did you brush、mm. it specifically、mm-hmm. this morning, it's sometimes a bit hard to give us a prescribed answer. Well, I I just have to, or well, otherwise I'll get bad teeth. So. We all understand、okay. the concept of、yes. it being a preventive and、yes. maintenance measure, but we don't think of mental health the same way.、Yeah. Go see someone when you're really in the critical moment. So when it's almost too late.、Right. Yeah, sometimes, but I think you know at different stages people are more aware and more in tune with what they need mentally. But if you think of mental hygiene, it should be something you do on a daily basis. So could you be more specific? So I I get the concept. Yeah. But what can you know? Let's suppose we've got. Few hundred people, maybe hopefully few thousand people listening to this. But what three things would you might might you suggest to people that they could actually do to improve their mental health? What what's what's if flossing is、yes. dental health? What is mental, mental flossing? Mental.、Yes. So what what can people do? If someone feels they're more on the anxious or intensely、um, kind of cooped up side, let's say. I would try and prescribe、uh, safe breathing exercises、okay. or some kind of meditation exercises,、mm-hmm. which doesn't have to be long. I'd rather you do one minute, three minutes、right. on a daily basis、yeah. than do a one weekend retreat yoga every five years. Okay, got it. And I think that's so more regular. Building yes, into your schedule. I think schedule. regular、right. regularity, consistency, and making it part of your routine to the point where it is like brushing your teeth. You don't have to think about it. 
would be helpful. And I think it will be different for everyone. So what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. We have to look at what your schedule is like, uh, where you can find the time. But if it's a few minutes, it's not that hard. I mean, you, you wait a few minutes for the elevator, you wait right. for the kettle to boil, you wait for your food to be microwave, you're waiting at the bus stop. So all these times that we'll naturally flick open a phone and look at mm. social media, why don't we switch on an app that does okay. three minutes of breathing? Okay. And it's not that it reverses all your mental health problems, but it's just a way of letting off that little pressure gauge so that you don't end up collecting too much pressure and you blow up. So just take time for yourself, yeah. unplug a little bit. Yeah. So I'm very interested. So in the same way that if we cut ourselves, the wound heals, mm -hmm. uh, occasionally it leaves a scar. Does, do mental health issues get better? As, as clearly as that, okay. Does a mental sort of illness get healed or cured? How does that sort of work in your world? I believe our body and our mind have an amazing ability to heal itself. Mm. You hear of stories where people will uh, reverse their cancer or you know, more incredible stories, but I think even on a daily basis, if you say, I have insomnia, I have anxiety, mm. I think if you find the right space and the right uh, direction for mm. your body and give it time, it will heal. Mm. I think it's more that we tend to be stuck in a pattern or routine and it's hard to shift out of it because that has always been your coping strategy. Mm. And it's hard to change. It's hard to change and asking you to do something different can be scary. And if people are able to at least shift Mm. Nobody can guarantee your result. Mm. It's really mm -hmm. about trying what works for you and mm. seeing the results for yourself. Based on what we know about science in terms of meditation and breathing and exercise and nutrition, there are you know, higher, um, like safe, safer bets that you can start with. Sure. Um, but overall, if you ask me, can most mental health issues be cured or healed, I would say yes. It's just finding the right path for so, that individual. So before we get into your second thing, um, I think a lot of people listening to this will, many occasions we believe that we might need to seek you know, help, but I think it's slightly different to a GP, you know, because it's something more obvious, whereas it's quite a step, um, I think, to go and consult a mental health professional. When should people come and see you? What, what should, say what what should they be experiencing that means they could should consult um, yourself a mental health professional a psychiatrist yeah. so i think barring any severe mental health issues like psychosis or, or manic episodes i think on a day-to-day -day basis the things we mentioned my rule of thumb now is right. if you have a few friends or family members and you think of them going through a similar situation mm -hmm. as yourself mm -hmm. would they be upset by it would they right. feel quote unquote depressed yep. would they feel anxious and worried yes i think if most people are going through similar emotions to what you are going through i would say that's just part of life mm -hmm. and I generally don't want to medicate life. Okay. You know, if you if you break up with your boyfriend, you don't need Prozac. You know, sure. you just need a bit of time and sure. a good friend and a hug. Yeah. yeah. But one 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 patient said very succinctly to me, "Yes, I think most of my friends would be unhappy in my situation, but I can see that they will have the ability to get themselves out of it. They right. will find ways to figure it out. Mm. But I feel too weak to be able to do that, and therefore they would come and seek help." I see. Okay, got that. 
And so it's more uh, how do you perceive your ability and how do you perceive the demands on yourself? And if there's a huge discrepancy and you feel you're not able to do it on your own or with the resources you currently have, or there's something more biological to it, then I would say seeking help is a good okay. this is, option. This is fascinating. Um, I just want to get down to basic principles. You know, we, we, the two, two words that have come out a lot in our chat is depression mm. and stress. Yeah. I think I always use this in the same way as strategy. Everyone talks about strategy, but actually very few people would be able to define it properly. What does depression look like? What are the signs that people should be concerned about? What, what does it feel like? What is, I mean, I think I know, but yeah. from a professional point of view, what are the signs of depression? So if you go in Dr. Google, you'd find the... <laughs> no, I thought we weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> um, there's a, di- a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and then there's the International Classification of Disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would list the criteria of depression. They're generally quite similar. Mm-hmm. So it actually only requires two weeks of consistently feeling low okay. or depressed, yep. uh, lack of interest and, mm-hmm. and joy in doing things. Um, and also the sort of sense of lethargy and lack of motivation. Mm. Then on top of that, there will be sleep disturbance, appetite disturbance, uh, memory issues, oh, feeling okay. more uh, irritable or like slow uh, responses. Um, you'd also see um, other things like you know negative thinking, suicidal thoughts. So there are a list of several symptoms that you would checklist through. Mm. And if it's severe enough to affect your daily functioning, then a doctor could then diagnose you with depression. Right. The diagnosis itself doesn't take into what we call etiology, which is the, the reason or the cause for it. Mm. So it could be something very biological where someone has nothing happened to them, but they suddenly feel depressed, mm-hmm. in which case you think it's more a physical, right. like mind yeah. as an organ kind of issue or obviously something so it comes we, out of nowhere some of right. them do come out of yeah. nowhere and some of them it's because something mm. terrible happened and if we're looking at depression now we're looking at stress is, is are they the sort of opposite side of the same coin what 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 are the stress signs that we should pay attention to so when we talk about stress we tend to think of it as a negative thing mm. because in the general context of talking about stress is usually too much but actually stress comes in a U-shaped curve. Mm-hmm. So if you're under-stressed and you're under-stimulated, you actually don't have motivation to do anything. I didn't know that was a thing. You can be under-stressed. You can be under-stressed and under-stimulated, right. and you don't perform as well. Mm. So for example, if you had a competition coming up, right. or you see people at the Olympics, why do they keep breaking records at the mm. Olympics? Mm. Because there is a healthy amount of stress to force them to do better. So your peak performance is actually in the middle of that upside down U-shape. Okay, yeah, got it. Where on the one side, if it's too low, your performance also drops. Right. But on the other side, if your stress level is too high, you also get a discount on your mm. performance. Mm. So you want to keep stress at a, at a healthy level. Stress is not necessarily a bad thing. Stress is just a physiological response to your environment. Mm. It's the mismatch between what you can do and what the environment demands of you that makes a difference. Very interesting. So um, we're now going to jump to your second thing. Yes. So we'd love to hear what is your second of your three things? So my second of the three things is to say to oneself what you would to another friend. And I think we've partly covered that in the sense of if all my friends are going through similar things, is this a normal thing to go through? And we tend to be quite harsh on ourselves. We tend to have a lot more negative, judgmental things that we say internally. So things we would say to ourselves. 
Like if if I said to my friend, "Oh, you're such a stupid person. You shouldn't have made that mistake. You you deserve not to get that promotion right. at work, okay. and and you're never going to fit or succeed in life." I don't think I have many friends there. Right, I think but that's we internally thing. say that sometimes to ourselves、mm. a lot more than we think we do because we're not almost cognizant that we are saying、yeah. these negative things. With friends, we're a lot more positive and encouraging. And so, to be kind to oneself is one way of putting it.、Okay. But also, saying things to ourselves that, at the end of the day, you're your own cheerleader.、Mm. If you rely on other people to keep propping you up, I really up, like that. You're your own cheerleader. I think that's fantastic. And be kind to yourself. Yes. Very interesting. So let's. We're sitting here、um, in the heart of Hong Kong. We, I know you, you. You. You mentioned you were educated overseas in the UK, but tell us.、Uh, The highlights of your journey into what got you here right now. What? When did you first start thinking psychiatry might be something you wanted to build a career in? So I think it was in my third year in university in Hong Kong that we were exposed to、um, psychiatry as a subject. Right. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is quite interesting. It's、mm. not a, a pure exact science, as in, oh, you've broken a bone,、right. or your blood glucose is above this number, and we'll give you a drug for it. There's a lot of humanities and psychological aspects of being a human that is involved, and that was what partly attracted me to it. Then I started doing some research、uh, for professors and getting published and. Over time, I just grav- gravitated towards this field.、Mm. So the first ten years of training was in a high volume、um, kind of environment setting, where pretty much you get five minutes、right. per patient,、yeah. and that regardless of what problem. This is public sector. This is the public,、right. and you're also having to manage your inpatients on top of that, and you're on call and going to the A and E. So the exposure was great. You、mm. get to see a lot of different. How、things. was your stress curve in those days? Oh,、uh, wobbly. <laughs> <laughs>、sure. I think lack of sleep,、yeah. um, dealing with quite、um, severely unwell patients、mm. takes a toll. And I remember in the beginning, I would periodically come home and cry every few days, and、oh, really? I couldn't figure out、yeah. why because nothing bad specifically happened to me. Then I realized, and it clicked that I was just taking a lot of. Other people's emotions on. I meant to ask: Do psychiatrists ever go to psychiatrist? Um, I think must... we have peer support. We、right. have friends that、okay. we can talk to, and it's important for anyone in as a mental health profession、mm. to build that support network for yourself.、Uh, and I'm very lucky that I work in a clinic with other psychologists. So, but well, that was fascinating what you're saying about you know you you. I think this wasn't your word, but you 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 kept things you know, not in, maybe this is the wrong word, but internalized.、Mm. How do you put those things aside? You know how, in the same way that the emergency responders must see, you know, ho- horrible car crashes, and they must have to see things that many people wouldn't. You must hear things that, are at the core of people's well-being,、um, and you do so on numerous times every day. How do you compartmentalize that with with your sort of outside of work? I think part of it is training. So after a while, knowing that I need to set certain emotional boundaries、yeah. because. My role is not to be their friend, and I can feel as、mm. a human what they're going through.、Mm-hmm. But it doesn't、That's、serve them if I just have an emotional breakdown with、mm. them. Well, I can、um, see that. So my <laughs> job to serve them well is to be objective and to hold their hand and lead them and be the stronger partner in the relationship.、Um, so yeah, I think it, it's important to compartmentalize without being indifferent. And I think 
being burnt out as a mental health professional, it comes across that you your your patients can feel mm. that you're not that invested in them, and it becomes perfunctory. You're just prescribing. Yeah. You're just getting yeah. them out the door, yeah. and that's where I as my own you know in my own practice now have the flexibility to manage myself and my time so that I can give one hundred percent when I'm seeing someone and they feel that they get the need they. Uh, they they want. Before we get into your third thing, and I also want to talk about what you do when you're not uh, helping patients. This is just a silly question, but I've got to ask it. Is there a couch? Do you guys actually have couches these days? I because I we kind of I fortunately touch wood never say never right, but I've never had yeah. to consult a mental health professional. Many people probably think I should, but we'll park that one for now. Yeah. Is there a, tell me about the office. Is there a couch? So I think when people say the couch uh, with a big C, yeah. they're talking about the Freudian couch where you recline exactly. and then the psychiatrist exactly is sitting behind thinking. you and you're just babbling on <laughs> you call free, free association. <laughs> um, that is a, a quite specific type of therapy. Right. And because so many people have asked me if I've actually mm. gone out and bought one of those chairs, that's why I said just I for shits and giggles. <laughs> I was genuinely interested. Okay. <laughs> so I do have one, but people tend not to use it. Uh, so what's the? I'm I'm getting really interested. So when someone arrives, I mean, is there a waiting room, and then is there an inner office? How does the whole sort of procedure? Because it there has been a lot of. I mean, Hollywood has defined what the whole psychiatric experience looks yes. like, and I'm. I'm very interested to know is what's reality like coming to have a consultation with you. I think a lot of what people see in movies are actually more along the lines of seeing a psychologist. So it's more therapy Got it. okay. um, and talking therapy. Yeah. When you go and see a psychiatrist, it's more a medical yeah. setting. So yeah. there's a waiting area, there's okay. a receptionist, yeah. you get led into the room, you sit either opposite or to the side of the table, you go through your um, your history, your, doc- your doctor will ask questions to help formulate what it is that we're dealing with. Do we have a diagnosable condition? Mm. Um, mm. What are the options for treatment? And I want this to be a journey with the patient rather than it being uh, patriarchal or prescriptive. Sure. So I always go through options and discuss what their, um, their treatment plan mm. could look like, give them a timeline of what to expect. Uh, here are the pros and cons, and I help them make a decision. On the subject of timeline, that's interesting. So we got the flu, we go to the doctor, we get some medicine, gets better, right? Yeah. Is there a typical amount, let's say you're dealing with a Hong Kong professional person who's come to you with symptoms of, let's say, depression and or stress and or being overwhelmed generally, um, and they just want to feel better about themselves. Is there a typical amount of time it takes uh, on average? So what would your patient duration of relationship look like for something like that? So let's even narrow it down to this okay. is your first time seeing yes. a psychiatrist yeah. you don't have any mental health issues there's no strong family history you don't have any other what you call comorbidities mm-hmm. so you don't have mm-hmm. a drinking problem you don't do drugs you don't have a, a, a massively disruptive lifestyle and you feel that physically you're not just able to cope so you're coming for uh, an option because your psychologist has said we've done quite a bit of work but yeah. there's just something missing yeah so we'll go through medication options. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, well, this is how long it usually takes for someone to work. Yeah. Everyone responds slightly differently. It may be that the first drug we choose works. If not, we may need to choose and find something else. Yeah. And if it's your first episode, 
this is the general guideline. It may be six to 12 months of being on a medication okay. uh, since you start feeling better. Yeah. And the, the plan is to help you come off the medication. I think it's a personal philosophy, but if it's your first episode and it's a very situational problem, once you resolve that, you should be given an opportunity to come off a medication. Okay, so that's always the goal, presumably. It's, it's always the possible. goal I strive for, but obviously there are things that I can't yeah. predict. And yeah. if at the end of the day, someone says, no, I've been on medications mm. on and off for four decades, every time I come off it, I relapse. Right. It would be more stable for me to stay on a low dose maintenance. Okay. Then that's a personal decision we make together. So I think you're looking at maybe a longer period of time than just a cold or a flu. But I like to give people a concept of what they're looking at because it can be scary if it sounds like a never-ending no, sure. for that's, everything that's what I want to ask, as yeah. well. We've covered a lot of ground yeah. and we're now at that stage where we're going to ask you, Vanessa, for your third thing. So what is your third thing? So my third thing is uh, more personal for myself than a, a sort of general advice. But I used to be quite... Uh, hot-tempered person. I probably still am. I can okay. be set off like a firecracker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's taken a lot of effort and time to learn. And I think sure. um, I've done a reasonable job. But back when I was younger, I'd be quite quick to judge. Mm. And I would dismiss something offhand because I think either I knew better or it's not worth trying. And now I'm a lot more open-minded. Mm. So I think part of that comes from when I transitioned from working in the public sector to private, I've exposed myself to a lot more alternative ways of healing. I've had my own health journey. Right. And I realized there are certain aspects of the current healthcare system that doesn't quite work for chronic, mysterious, vague complaints. If you have a broken bone, if you need a liver transplant, by all means, see a Western doctor and right. get that fixed. But if it's chronic migraine or you know bloating and, and uh, skin mm. issues, um, then you know or just low energy, mm. um, Western medicine doesn't seem to have a, a whole set of repertoire for helping with that. And so I I started to explore things that would be considered more left field or okay. woo woo. Yeah. Yeah. Anything from is that a technical medical term? Yeah. So right? I had a patient. Woo woo. Woo woo. Yeah. I had a patient come in and she kind of looked at me and says, "Well, someone told me to come see you because you're a little bit like woo woo." And for the I audience out there, it's the that. it's the hand with the like hands a, going round in going round in a circle as if you're wiping something on your on your mirror kind of action. And I was like, that's actually a compliment that I, I am. I've got a reputation for being a bit more open minded, and and actually patients. They will go and seek help. Mm. We have Chinese medicine, we have acupuncture, we have Reiki, we have naturopathic medicine, but there's almost this divide where they're not comfortable yeah. telling their yeah. Western doctors that yeah. they're taking certain things. And Western doctors, some of them may be a little yeah. bit more dismissive. Yes. Um, you know, nutrition doesn't matter, just take your medicine. Just but take, take the pill. <laughs> just take the take pill. The it doesn't matter if you sleep or not. Sure. Um, and I think. That was partly where uh, a colleague of mine, we started our own uh, sort of podcast and yep. journey towards bringing the two sides together. Yep. And I would now say that I'm willing to try something at least once mm. before I decide if it's something worth recommending or not. So everything that I, or most things that I recommend to my patients, I've either tried once or oh, research research okay, enough so, to know that so it's you are kind of your own i won't say guinea, guinea pig, pig but you're yes. your own guinea pig okay yeah i'm just looking before we talk about your private time um i think in you know, you're you're in medicine i'm in marketing 
I think everyone's got one client case. It might not be the biggest, but it's something that you just think, that was a really good day in the office. You know, we really did some good. And if you had just to isolate one case from your portfolio of patients, from at any point in your career, is there one case that just stands out where you say, we really did some good there? It's really hard to, to pick one because what keep me motivated in my job mm. is there are many of these little gifts that patients come back to okay. me and say, uh, you know, thank you, yeah. uh, we, we did it together. Um, and it's really rewarding to have someone come back yeah. for their kind of wrap-up session, which I really appreciate. And they're a better and, person as a result of having spending time with you. Yes, and, and they see value in it. I think a lot of people, they're resistant towards seeing a mental health professional because they don't maybe understand what benefits you could get. And yeah, I think it depends on um, how well you connect with your, your, your doctor or your, your psychologist. But it's not just the pill. There's a lot mm. more to the pill. We know that the pill has a high placebo percentage. Yeah. Like antidepressants are yeah. up to 40%. So if I gave you a sugar really? pill... Really? As high as that? Yes. So what is placebo? Um, placebo, I think it's the whole process of you being motivated enough to get well, right. book the appointment, show mm. up on time, yeah. speak about it, uh, pay for the medications, go home, take it every day at the same time. Even if it's a sugar tablet. <laughs> Even and, and the thing is, they've done these studies where they've told you it is a sugar tablet. It comes in a pill box that says sugar pill, and you take a sugar pill knowing no that way. it is the sugar pill, and nobody's lying to no you about it. No one's pretending otherwise. Nope, wow. and everybody knows that's what's happening, and you still get better. But I think it's the whole uh, therapeutic relationship that you have with your doctor, which is why I spend more time with my patients than your average consultation, because there is this, a f kind of like a psychology or almost a science behind even just medication yeah. or the process of getting better, that you need to get them to believe they can get better. And it goes back to creating that space for you to have a belief there is a possibility. If, if you lose hope that you can get well, it's really hard to get you out of that loop. So look, that's, uh, the, 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 you say 40% placebo, that's, Up that's to, extraordinary. Yeah. quite extraordinary. So if we're now looking, just a couple of real quick ones. So question, first question, if you could publish tomorrow any white paper, right, and you knew it would go it will be looked at by the highest levels of the Hong Kong government and medical community. Hey, I'm higher. All leaders of the United All Nations. All leaders of the United <laughs> Nations. What, what would the title of your white paper be? Um, it has to be something catchy, doesn't it? It has to be. This is where I need your expertise I'm to help with marketing. Help, but I'll, I'll, I'll help you with the marketing. But in terms of if there was a message or if there was a study that you would really want to do, um, it can be worldwide, it can be in Asia. What, 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 what would the headline of that study be, do you think? Um, I, I work on the exact wordings, but I think what would be important, I think, is actually prevention and looking at suboptimal health. Right. So suboptimal health is where you're not bad enough to be diagnosed with diabetes, yeah. hypertension, whatever it is that's chronic. But you're kind of in the zone. You're kind of in the zone and you don't feel 100%, but you're not bad enough to be either given a medication or mm. a treatment. Mm. And a lot of people just sort of stay in that zone, not knowing what they can do. And then eventually they get bad enough that they yeah. get prescribed a medication. Yeah. And there's so much you can do with lifestyle to reverse Interesting. that. Interesting, right. And I think despite COVID, we know that there are risk factors that make you more likely to succumb or to have a severe illness. Mm. 
doesn't seem like anybody's talking about preventing or improving diabetes or helping obesity epidemic, uh, getting more sunshine. Vitamin D has been proven to be effective in lessening the symptoms of COVID or yeah. improving outcomes from ICUs, everything. And we know the science, like why is it not getting translated into action? And I think the government needs to take a role in terms of focusing on education mm -hmm. and also shifting and incentivizing the healthcare system, which includes you know, big pharma, insurance yeah. companies, yeah. Uh, private sectors, public sectors, um, healthcare organizations that promote this. Because it has to be a win-win. If, if you catch all these things at an early stage, the, the individual gets a better life. Presumably it has dramatic improvements in expenditure. You need less med expensive right? medication. So yeah. I can't see that there's, a, well, when you publish that paper, I promise we'll, we'll help you out with that. So when you are not helping your patients, um, what is it that you like to do to keep you busy? What, when you are finding you time, yeah. uh, how do you spend that time? So I, I tend to be someone that needs to be quite active. So okay. I call myself a little activator. Okay. I find uh, through my body movements that I get a lot of um, content and satisfaction. So it could be anything in the past from outdoor open water okay. swimming. Yeah. I used to do horse riding. I used to do um, archery, which I also find is very really? meditative. Okay. Um, Can you do that in Hong Kong quite easily? Yeah, we have uh, LCSD run archery um, outdoor ranges and also indoor archery as well. Um, but the thing of 2021 for me <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> has been rock climbing. Um, I've done it in the past wow. and I, I just got into it more this mm. year where I'm going weekends, I'm trying to squish time in during the week to do it. But what's great for me is that it's a very adrenaline fueled sport right. for short bursts of time yep. where your mind yep. is completely focused. There's no room. There's no room. I was just going to say there's think no room of anything, for anything else, else right. other than working a puzzle mm. and trying not to fall off. Mm. Um, and using your physical strength to do it. And then you get sort of this downtime where you get to socialize with your friend yeah. and you kind of take turns doing it. And there's a, a community around the, the climbing here, which is very uh, It almost good. sounds, and if you excuse a terrible pun, it almost sounds very therapeutic. Uh, I mean, yes, a, it is my a, own a hobby medicine. To do, right, because yeah. I, well, the way you described it, the community, the exercise, Presumably it's also mental as well as physical. Yes, and it's being think, outdoors. And there's like not, it's not risk-free, so you've got to be thinking all the time, presumably. Yes, yeah. And so, just being in nature, I think, helps. I think there's a lot of nature deficit syndrome here. If there was one thing, before we get into your last thing, and we always ask our guests, what's the one thing you couldn't live without? If there was just one piece of advice you could give to people listening to this show about their mental health, just if we could boil it down to one or maybe two, what would that advice be? from you be you know we take aside food family shelter yeah. all the what we call the hygiene sort of maybe not family but you know what i mean yeah. but what is the one thing other than those essentials that you couldn't live without i couldn't live without a purpose or meaning mm. um what does that mean what does yeah, purpose so mean to, you? to to quantify that a bit i think people are able to achieve extraordinary things and work through a lot of pain and suffering and hardship to achieve what they want because they have a purpose they have a belief that what they're doing is worth it mm. and I see a lot of people when they come to me with a depression and other mental health issues is because they they don't have that mm. they they lack a reason to to thrive they lack a reason to struggle through you know either daily stresses or big stressful events and pull themselves through so 
yes, you can go through the motions, but it does feel like somewhat more robotic and like Groundhog Day. But if you have a, a, a reason to do it, and it could be either an external reason, or I need to go to work because yeah. I need a paycheck, or yeah. even better, an internal motivation. I go to work because I can help people. I go to work because I believe what oh, I do okay. makes yes. a difference. Yeah. I am contributing to a, a greater good or to my community. It is my uh, sense of being a part of a tribe. I uh, derive a sense a of satisfaction. Or mountain climbers. Or, yeah, yeah, I derive satisfaction out of it. It is better for me in the long term. Whatever it is that you subscribe to as a purpose, you can do a lot of really difficult things. And I think if we lived without a purpose, it would be a lot less enjoyable, if not somewhat depressing. Well, and I think the power of purpose is a fantastic place to say thank you, Dr. Vanessa Wong. It has been fascinating. And I think what I'm really grateful is you gave us all some really great advice. Um, I think the stories that you shared are terrific. And uh, the funny chair, I think, will go down in three things history. As I mean, almost kind of wish, well, I know, we're now the, we're, we're all smiling at each other, and uh, as is our lovely producer as well. But I think um, that's just very, very funny. On behalf of all of us, the three things, Dr. Vanessa Wong, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You can find us at anantawellbeing.com and follow us at anantawellbeing on Facebook and Instagram. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star review to help other like-minded people find us. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and is not intended to treat or diagnose any medical condition. This podcast and its producers disclaim any responsibility for adverse effects that result from the use of this information. Opinions of guests are their own and are not endorsed by this podcast. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions. We do not make any representation or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Both producers and guests may have direct or indirect interest in the products and services mentioned. If you think you have a medical condition, please consult a licensed physician.